0: Hey, everyone, it's Michael Teal. Today is episode 99 of the GP Performance Matters podcast. That's right. We are almost in triple digits. So we thought, you know what? It's the holiday season. Why don't we do something special for our listening audience? And we thought, you know what? Here's a nice little Christmas present for you. We're going to wrap it up in a podcast format, and that is the opportunity to sit and have a conversation with GP Strategies' very own Chief Learning and Innovation Officer, Mr. Matt Donovan. What we're talking about today is the idea and the notion of creating a culture of organizational learning. In this conversation, Matt just drops knowledge gifts everywhere. There's so much practical information and insights, so I encourage you to listen to this several times. I encourage you to share it with your friends, your relatives. Let's have this one go viral in a good way, but um, looking forward to having you get a chance to listen to this conversation. I'm going to tease out a couple of things that we talked about. The first is this idea of why having a culture of organizational learning really is table stakes, why that is really The table stakes to surviving and thriving. Matt is going to share tips and strategies to make it happen. He's going to share some cautionary tales. And this is the thing I really love at the end. Stay tuned because he will make a very real comparison of the idea of organizational learning and modern learning transformation and comparing it to a salt water fish tank versus a reef in the open ocean waters. Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters podcast from GP Strategies, your workforce transformation partner. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts and explore best practices and innovative insights to help your organization improve performance. Hello and welcome to the GP Performance Matters podcast. I'm your host Michael Teal, and I don't know if you can tell, but I'm recovering from King COVID this past week. So if I sound especially rich and baritone, that's why. But we thank you for joining us here. We've got a great show today. We are talking about creating a culture of organizational learning. Here with me to riff on this subject is really the perfect guest featured guest. That's Matt Donovan, our Chief Learning and Innovation Officer here at GP Strategies. Matt, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing
1: well. Glad to be here with you as I know we're getting close to the holiday season. Uh, So I think this is a great time to kind of come and connect and talk about this very topic. So as we're heading
0: into 2023. I, I want to start us off here with, in terms of the importance and the value of adopting a culture of organizational learning? From your perspective, what's the big deal? Well, I think
1: what's important to talk about is that all organizations have a culture of learning. The question is, is it the culture that they desire, that they want? So because every company has a workforce that works and, and humans will find a way to learn, they will create their own culture. So, you know, the, the old adage is that culture, each strategy for breakfast every day, it comes mm. back to the same kind of thing is your learning strategy may be one thing, but your learning culture itself may eat that. So the question is, how do you get to that aligned learning, stra- uh, learning culture that you want to be able to uh, really enable the strategy that you're trying to, to pull forward? So it is, in a sense, it's always a relevant question. Um, and it's been an age-old question, question: How do you actually control culture? Which, which is an illusion. You can't control culture in that sense. You can nurture it. You can grow it. You can create the conditions for it. But in and of itself, that culture becomes the behaviors, the decisions, the rights, uh, the connections of the workforce. That that is really what's reflected in the work culture as well as the learning culture.
0: So what you're saying is. You've got a culture, whether you like it or not, is the question, right?
1: 100%. And if, if, if your organization is working in a space that's facing a lot of disruption, whether it's the work, the worker, the work environment, or all three of them at the same time, if you're seeing a lot of that disruption, then probably shifting to a learner-centric learning culture versus an organizational centric learning culture. And what the difference here is, is that mm. in an org centric culture, the relationship is saying that the organization will provide you with everything you need. You go back 10 years and let's say, I'm an undergraduate coming out of an I'm accounting degree from an undergrad business program. I come into the company, company says we're gonna teach you how to be an accountant at this organization, this is how we do it. So the organization will tell you everything you need to do. Well, what we've seen over this time is that those jobs and those roles are evolving dramatically. So for the organization to kind of figure out what that change is, then recast the jobs, retrain everybody is a very slow process, which is org-centric. I'm reliant on the organization to tell me what I need to know or where to learn it. It's a lot on that impetus. And it's really hard on the organization to deliver that because it's really hard to move quickly. But if you move to a learner-centric Learning culture that says that the first rule of that is that the learner must take accountability for the learning journey. Doesn't mean they're on it by their own, by themselves or by the you know that, but they they're being brought into the system. They're asking those critical questions of what do I need to learn in order to perform better how, in the work that I'm seeing and how things are changing. Am I critically thinking about? what is coming to me. So when I ask those questions and I put it into the ecosystem, through the technology, through the humans and the connectors, I'm getting the resources I need that allow me to continue to evolve and grow more dynamically in the flow. And so there's, there's a difference between those two. So that's just one uh, you know differentiation between the traditional, again, the organizational, the org-centric versus the learner-centric. So if you're going towards the learner-centric, You probably need to think differently how you design the instruction, how you create the experiences, how you're going to actually bring them into the space to ask those critical growth questions. And you're going to focus more energy on the ecosystem and the experience than actually just creating a full amount of content. Because a big portion of what you're going to ask folks to do is to be part of the users, part of the creators, that are going to help answer that. So that is a fundamental shift. So you don't just go, oh, we're going to be learner-centric now. You actually have to change the entire, from a systems view, the way you build it out, the way you enable that, the way you support them.
0: So what I'm hearing from you then, really the idea of a culture of organizational learning should really shift to saying not what does the organization need, but what does that learner, what's that role, what do they need to be successful to thrive in their position. And then is the idea that let's say you've got each of the, these key roles have these success points. And then that kind of, if you, if you aggregate it all, that ends up being what will make the organization um, successful. So I don't know if I'm losing myself in there, but um, help me untangle this a little
1: bit. No. So, so I think you still have, it, it's still important that you understand that the business strategy. So I'm not okay. saying that moving the learner-centric, we ignore or don't account for the business strategy. The individual worker, the employee, the learner needs to understand the business strategy and what we're saying about. Okay that they are a critical part of the system now. Instead of the organization saying, this is what you need to do in order to execute on the strategy, we now say, this is our strategy and we're bringing the learners, workers, performers into it because they're on the front lines and they're seeing it change. They're saying, if that's the strategy, I need to do this differently or I need to bring a different perspective. You start to work the solution systemically rather than saying one will provide for the other. So you're actually opening up the system, bringing the learners as part of it. And now you start to design the system so that they can actually have a voice. They can have some determination on what they need to know because they are the ones that says, if I understand the strategy and I understand where we need to go and I understand where I want to go in the career, then I can be able to start to map and access the things I need to learn the skills I need to acquire, the knowledge I need to access in order to be able to, to meet that strategy, to grow my career, to do all of that. Does that help clarify?
0: Yeah, it does. So there, you're still having an understanding of organizationally, here's why we exist. Here's our mission, our vision, our values. Here's your role in here. You tell me what do you need to be successful?
1: Absolutely. And I, and I think one way that I've summed this up in the past is this is actually bringing the full talent of the organization, the leadership and the and the middle management or the management. And then you have the performers. You're bringing the full body of that to help meet the business goals, the business strategy. That That's really you're pulling everybody in to be able to do that. And you're doing it through predictable problem solving, not predictable solutions. When the solutions are constantly changing what we need to meet customer demands, competitive environments, all of a sudden the solution we created yesterday doesn't work anymore. I need to get back to predictable problem solving versus predictable solutions every time. And that's one of the things in how we actually enable a workforce to be able to do that is that they need to become problem solvers, which means they need the data and the information to help solve a problem in a predictable aligned format with the rest of the organization.
0: You know, what would be some of these starting points recommendations that you would have for an organization?
1: So so if I'm going to shift from an org-centric to a nurse, I'm going to start with my design practices. So the first thing I'm going to do for my design when I'm designing the learning experiences, the learning journeys, the academies, whatever it is to, to provide Uh, Support for those individuals, I'm going to use probably a design thinking strategy, which starts off, who am I designing for? Really understanding everything about them. What am I helping them solve? What am I enabling them to do? And then we're gonna come in from an ideation phase and say, what is the most efficient, um, best way, stepping outside of traditional assumptions on how we meet it and be able to come back with it. So that sets it up and how we start to design. And then you get into uh, use of MVPs, uh, minimum viable products, to start to say, roll some things out there to say, does this work? We actually get feedback on rolling out something that can be tested with the target audience to say, is it relevant? Did it deliver? Did it meet the experience criteria whatever that is? So first of all, I'm going to switch the way in which I think about how I design. Because we used to say the organization says, this is what you need to learn. I come up with the best way to teach what the org says. Now I'm saying to the learners, in terms of an experience, what do you need to succeed? Content mm. and development of it, but when, where, how, under what conditions will create the best experience for you to be able to execute in alignment with the business and we change up our point of the conversation. So we're going from organ content centric to learner centric for that one.
0: That's a 180 degree switch in terms of from a traditional quote unquote training environment. Is that a fair assessment from your oh, perspective? I,
1: I think I think it's a big difference. And and I and I actually often refer to myself as a recovering instructional designer. I'm classically trained, uh, master's in instructional design, been doing it for years. But I, I think this is one of the things is that we need to unlearn some of the behaviors. That we probably have done because we we historically have been rewarded as mm-hmm. designers for what we put into the course. It's right. just what you don't put in that you allow the learners to kind of step into almost creating negative space in the experiences that allows the learners to, again, take accountability for that journey, to be able to take ownership for it um you know if if they find it relevant they're going to engage which means they're going more likely to retain it to remember it to probably transfer it you increase the likelihood of it so those are all important to have in there but that is something very different as you were saying 180 degrees from what we've traditionally done we need to think differently and redirecting the energies now my energy is thinking about how do i create the environment uh, I do create some like small little assets, but I create the experience. I enable, I support. I don't just create the lockstep content that's in that. So that that Got is it. a shift for a
0: lot of traditional designers. It, it is. It is a huge one. And myself, you know, I've been in this world, in this training world, for about two decades now. And yeah, the instinct when you said recovering i um, instructional designer. That really hit me because your instinct is to go, okay, I see what, what the learning objective is. Let's make some amazing content. And you're almost saying based on what they really need, maybe it's not amazing content. Maybe a, a little minimal viable job aid is enough versus some, you know, elaborate workshop, right? I,
1: I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of the old, um, and it's been around, the Agile Manifesto. And I think bringing some of those principles into the way in which we design so that the uh, art of maximizing the amount of work not done. Um, Prototype to create a concrete, but do no more than what you exactly need to solve that. So we go from the concept of of high impact design to the concept of elegance. And and elegance Hmm. is getting maximum output with the minimum of effort. So it's designed this most simply, not just effort, but in construct and what you're doing. So to your point, why create a really complicated system when a PDF or a job aid will do?
0: Don't absolutely. Maybe it's like strip, world it's world like MTV yeah. unplugged, you know, you strip it down to the essentials or like how TikTok has taken over. Um, uh, you know, people do a 30-second video, can you do it in 30 seconds versus a 10-minute a, a thing, right? So, like, strip it down to the essence is key, right?
1: Well, and we have so much noise today, so that we're doing and processing so much information, there's so much to learn, so much change that we're facing, that if we are not, you know, you know focused on eliminating the noise or, or non-valuable information, it just will be overwhelming, i mean mm-hmm. the amount of information that we have around us is is beyond the capacity of the individual human i think to manage and process so so the question is anything as a designer that i can create cleaner more streamlined experiences i am overall helping reduce the noise in the system
0: okay so that's that's a good challenge both for me personally but i think organizationally when when we're looking at this so the first thing that you've said here the first recommendation was really let's just start clean slate with the design process and approach things in terms of really understanding the learner. What do they need to be successful? What are their real problems that need to be solved? And then, then approach your energies. So it's really a switch of energies. So what yeah. would be what would be kind of the next step? Let's say that an organization has switched their energies; they really have a good lock in on what individual roles need to be successful what would be a a couple follow-up steps
1: yeah i think i think the next one is really a mindset shift and this is again goes back to the change management but a mindset shift for the learner and this gets back into helping me to adopt the mentality of that i need to learn to grow i need to take ownership for it i will be supported i need to be an active participant but it's an expectation and there's an element of accountability with it but this is a place, you know, one uh, Satya Nadella is, is famous, the uh, CEO of Microsoft. You know, he, he told a story about basically, you know, kids and capabilities. And he says, in the end, he says, when it comes to people that know it all versus people that learn it all, those that learn it all have a much longer horizon and future because of what mm. we're seeing with the constant evolution. He says, I want an organization of learn it alls versus an organization and know it all, because it becomes more static. And it's a I've kind of reduced it down, but he puts it in the article, but it really calls out to that mindset shift from the organization to go, once I've achieved mastery, I've established mastery. But the world is changing so quickly, you need to be able to <laughs> assimilate new information, learn new things, and update and change your performance. Because if you wait for the organization again from a top-down strategy, to figure out what the change is, trickle it down, communicate it, create a formal learning on oh. it. The changes <laughs> change has changed three times by the time you've... Uh,
0: talked, I was going to say, by the time you've you've developed the elaborate solution, as you inferred later, the, the, the question has changed, right? So, yeah. so let me ask you this. Uh, I, I get the concept here, and I'm tracking with you of saying the culture needs to really promote a culture of learners. Just on boots on the ground, what are some ways to make this happen you know to actually set this in motion
1: Yeah, or organizationally creating um through the manager right so that gets back to reinforcement there's two things that'll do this one is what do you manage and what do you measure and so you got to work these into your core systems if you don't create space for people to learn they won't They'll do it off the side of their desk to do the minimum, to do the, you know, they want to do a good job of work and They'll kind of squeeze it in, but organizationally you need to create space for it, number one.
0: Okay, and by that you mean actually, hey, you can carve out a section of your week for improvement, for learning. Is that what I'm saying versus do your full job and then, by the way, go home and spend 20 hours doing that?
1: I mean, we'll we'll, we'll recognize that people have to fill out timesheets. People have to fill out expense reports and they get in trouble when they don't fill out time (laughs) sheets, trouble when they don't do expense reports. But my question is, is what happens when you don't learn how to do your job better because the Mm. job itself is changing? Why wouldn't it be just as critical as saying you need to continue to evolve and being able to put it in working into our regular conversations as it would be to turning in your time sheets and being able to complete your expense reports. I mean, these, these are, should be as fundamentally critical to the business as the financial mechanisms that we run. I know that individually I picked two things which do affect the learner directly about getting paid and getting their reimbursements. But the point is, is that if they believe it's important, the new organization needs to recognize, reinforce that and say, are you measured? So in your management performance conversations, are you asking the question? How are you growing? How are you changing? How are you evolving? Do we create events? that allow us to be able to do this. One of the great examples, and it's, it's actually well-documented out there, um, is Novartis with Simon Brown talked to a CLO over there, worked on creating a curiosity campaign. So he mm-hmm. has a, over a think of two month window, a series of events where people are encouraged to come and learn something new, related to or extending or adjacent to what their job is, but basically coming in and being able to partake of an offering that's provided to them, help share, grow, learn something new, but it's all part of the curiosity uh, system. And and, and Novartis actually set aside time for them to actually go and learn. So the commitment was, I believe, 100 hours. I may be, I think it was 100 hours per employee to learn. Okay. In a year, which which is, you know, it's it, it, that's a good solid commitment when you think about how many employees there. Are. I, I believe that's the number. But the point is, I got a, commitment, a set of time aside. They didn't have to do this after hours. So I think, again, it's like making learning, a, you know, getting it back to reinforcing it. So it becomes part of muscle memory. So first of all, you change the internal mindset. Organizationally, you you manage it and you measure it. Simple as that. That's how you get behaviors. And those are the behaviors that shape the culture. It is simple as one, two, three when it comes to the, the other mm-hmm. things out there will enrich and enable it. And we have a couple more we'll talk about. But if I had to say three fundamentals, it's change the mindset. Again, manage and measure. <laughs> We've known this forever, but we don't do it.
0: You know, now as technology and platforms evolved, I feel like there's a number of enabling technologies that can help facilitate this. In fact, looking back at this past year of podcasts, you know, we've had some really cool conversations um, with uh, individuals that are in either talent mobility uh, or skills management platforms where you can almost gamify this process. And, you know, it might be, look at, for example, Mike Teal, and you can see as a video game, like, does he have those skills that we're looking for? So it's not just this person did this in their background, but have they demonstrated this career growth? And I'm kind of excited to see where that's going to go in in the next, uh, you know, four or five years in terms of almost turning careers into uh, a video game type profile for folks.
1: Well, well, I mean, I would think what it does is is it it provides quick turn, you know, uh, in the engagement to see the long term benefit of it. I mean, theoretically, I think one of the most, not theoretically, it is one of the most powerful forces we have in our industry is that people want to do a good job. I firmly believe that people want to show up and do a good job. I think there's relatively few people that come in and go, (laughs) I want to suck at my job.
0: (laughs) Right. I can't wait to just barely skate by this year. (laughs) I want to do the absolute minimum.
1: And I mean, everybody,
0: you know, I know
1: lives to work, but But even those that are working to live, when they are working, they want to do a good job. So how do you enable that? I think you want to reinforce that. You want to cultivate, to grow that. Um, So you talk about the technologies and the tools. I think there are some great tools, which are great ways to kind of reinforce some of those behaviors and those habits. Here's the interesting thing I think it popped up was um, there was a story about uh, the trackers. So with your phone, so like a Fitbit, you get a Fitbit okay. and there was an interesting thing. So I could go around and do a fitness tracker. And so all of a sudden, because you provided me data, you gamified it a little bit. People were actually doing more. They were a more aware of their performance. So they had data that fed back to them that said, hey, you only walk 1,200 steps today. Your goal is <laughs> 1,000. You'd probably need to pick it up oh, and by the way, your friend got three badges today because they were really active, and maybe that stirs
0: me to say, okay. Oh, you know, yeah, well social pressure. So, so you
1: you do have tools to tech. The interesting part, and here's what you've got to manage, is when people that actually enjoyed walking and doing this, actually the trackers actually started to create a negative impact. Mm. Because they used to do it naturally. So where I'm trying to get back to this is that not all incentive systems, not all reinforcement systems work for everybody. You have to have a range of them, but they are there to be helpful. So walkers who innately enjoyed walking probably had a walking buddy that they were already doing and enjoyed the time and the energy with that individual So don't disrupt that. Know where patterns are happening that are good. Feed that into the system. They're already aligned with it. Um, But others that may benefit from that, they can opt into those systems. So this is where it gets to personalized experiences. Mm. So, So it's about being able to create personalized learning experiences or behavior reinforcement systems, whatever they are, that help you kind of grow, continue to grow, continue to be curious, to ask those questions, to Look at your career. Where are you going? How are you going to continue to build yourself, etc. So, So that's a big thing. But technology can definitely take away some of that very manual labor that we've had to do to kind of make these initiatives work in the past. They, will, they can uh, be very helpful in the future.
0: So, you know, even just saying, OK, let's say there was a career you aspired to within your yeah. organization. And, you know, if there ends up being uh, it's like a roadmap, it's like you need to at least have these prerequisites of skills to even be considered, um, and then if if the organization had links to whether well, it's third party links or internal links to, you know, ways that you can get these skills, uh, that's that'd be pretty cool.
1: And I think you know, here's the thing we have to understand again. It goes back to an interesting story about culture and technology. So these you know these new platforms you call them ta- talent mobility. There's several out there. That are there, but you know the technology will not automatically fix a cultural issue or uh, other foundational problems that you may have. So, for example, if your organization has issues with talent hoarding, so the point is, is that if I've got really good people and it's hard for me to get new good people, then I will hold on to the people that I have. Sometimes managers will actually get in the way of people and their talent mobility. <laughs> So if you come in and put a platform in that says, hey, Matt, be more aware of all the great options out here. I see great jobs. Here's the skill sets you need to get out there. But I find out that my manager is actually blocking for me to be able to grow or post. (laughs) I now am more dissatisfied than I was before the talent (laughs) mobility platform came in. So until you fix culture with it, talent can have some unpredictable behaviors around it. So it all works really well. If you have a culture of manager saying, I want you to get where you need to go. I'm invested in your growth. I need you to get to the next space. You're gonna deliver value while we're here. Let's keep moving. So anyway, I think that that's, that's an example of again, culture first, then change we talk about the mindset, the measure, the manage, and then the layers of technology come in, which are great, they're like, Uh, huge catalysts in being able to deliver that. Right. will not compensate for the change in the the management and the manage, and they won't definitely fix, you know, some of those other things. So that's why you need to kind of bring some of those tool techs in to help shape that culture.
0: You're really dropping some wisdom because I think a lot of individuals think, okay, I just get this platform and life will be good. And instead you're saying, if you don't have the wisdom and you haven't set up these very just human processes and mindsets, then you're wasting your money.
1: Yeah. I mean, what imagine if I were to put in, in the manage and the measure side, what if I put in a development quotient that talked about how many of your people have been able to move successfully into new positions outside your group? Are you recognized? Are you rewarded for that? Or am I going to come back and say you didn't hit your productivity quote and you're like, I got to hold on to my most talented people because I'm not going to take it. (laughs) Right. doesn't mean that productivity is not important, but it's a system that pulls through. So you have now a pipeline of talent cycling through, growing and moving on, but you're not being punished for good behaviors in the growth and development of your individuals.
0: You know, I I also see this concept of creating a, a culture of organizational learning can actually be beneficial of just saying, can someone actually get better at their job, like literally you're in this master craftsman role for 20 years and, but we're going to continually reward you and encourage you to keep growing your skills in there. Uh, to me, that seems like that's, that's an often ignored Avenue as well. I mean, it, is that is that have a role in this? Because, like I said, not everyone's just going to magically well, I mean, wander if, off into another role. In a, well,
1: and I think what you're getting, to, which is really important, is an aspect of social learning communities. This is another layer when I talk about that technology kind of mm-hmm. wave. As we we do that, you know, it comes into saying I will need humans that will reinforce, coach, mentor, and develop that. Now, here's the thing. In your social learning community, if it's only geared for the neophytes or the new or the novices, then the experts get nothing out of the system. And this is often Mm. one of the problems we have is that we say, well, the experts will be there to help all the new people. But if the experts don't get anything out of it, then that becomes a problem. So when you think of your social learning communities, you have to be able to build them so that they can meet a whole range of moments of learning need. So can I get something out of it as an expert from other experts, for example, peers? Can I get new insights from the novices? Can I get something out of it? You've got to design for both to have that feeding because if if your experts aren't in the system, the novices won't grow in that learning community. So you have to be able to have both. You have to meet the needs for both of them. And that gets Mm -hmm. to the human side, so not just providing content and platforms, but now you're providing the human connections that help me get better on a day to day basis. And how to be a good coach or a micro coach or a micro mentor. And what I mean is instead of thinking of that, like I have one coach for a lifetime, what if I actually had a coach that helped me get better at a specific aspect? So now Hmm. in like professional sports let's say, if you're in basketball, you don't just have a coach, you have a shooting coach. You have a defense coach. You have coaches that will help different aspects of your game get better because they're specialists in that space. So when you think about that, that's almost like micro coaching coming together to flesh out the full. So When you talk about how do I develop as an expert? Well, what if I actually had expertise from other experts in a different micro dimension? And now we're coaching and helping each mm. other with a specific aspect, and then I can also help the new folks. So not only am I getting better in the craftsman, but, but I'm really good at this
0: aspect of it,
1: and I'm growing and sharing with others. On okay.
0: So I see. I, I see what you're, you're, you're saying. Better. I can see what you're saying in terms of the social learning. Even you know, if we do kind of blend in that concept of okay, what are some enabling technologies? It might even be okay. Are there ways that without resorting to just sticking all your stuff on YouTube, having an enterprise level set of playlists or almost turning some of these experts into like a like an influencer within the organization? I mean, is are you are you seeing things like that transpiring?
1: I think so. And I think the caveat comes back into is to not to be lured into this almost concept of. You know, hey, we'll go into a self-service model. We've got all these playlists. I can go get what I want, and the problem is, is we under-support the system because I got people creating videos, but then all of a sudden, just go get what you need, and you're done, and then we don't have it. So, what starts off as self-service and intentions ends up to be fin for yourself because mm. we don't take time. To cultivate, to grow the, the environment, the ecosystem that does it. There's intentionality that as, as LD groups and LD leaders, we need to grow the ecosystem as it enables it. tech, human, you know, all of that together. we need to have that to enable them because if you don't, it'll turn into a fend for yourself, which means I'm underserviced, I'm undersupported. And I mean, probably getting less than I had in the beginning. So again, it is a very systemic view. You can't solve this problem by just fixing one component or introducing one level. You really do need to think about how you change the system. And this is is why Mm. a lot of them fail, is that they actually come in and they'll just layer over attack or try one campaign, but they're not systemically how to change and culture and nurture something. And then they want to go, well, it's so self-service. We we can actually save money because we are not running as many face-to-face classes. We're not flying people. We'll just cut the budget. What you actually need are people to shift roles. And now you need people that are out there building a social learning community and actually being Mm. the gardeners of the system, the moderators, the facilitators, the connectors. Right. But we also need to teach our end learners to not just be consumers of content but these learners are taking on creation roles they become curators collaborators moderators they're changing the and they're taking on new social roles so it's not just on the learning group to kind of come in and grow it but they also need to change the way they do that goes back to that mindset shift i take accountability but i'm also going to contribute i'm going to participate I'm going to feed myself. I'm going to feed others. But if everybody works together, it's more sustainable, more manageable, and more responsive than ever.
0: You know, I think I could boil our conversation down to it's it's a redirection of energy is what you're saying. It's like, let's first focus that energy on designing for what the learner needs, their experience, their needs. And then let's make sure that our management and our measurement processes align with that. And then almost like a recycling icon in my mind, you're, you're going back to that design and, and over time, so you don't just, uh, empty the pot, you go, are the problems still the same, right? (laughs) To, are we, are, are we supporting what we actually need to be successful as things change, whether it's this quarter, this, this year? I mean, I I can kind of see it in my mind come together. If anyone's Magically envisioning me um, making crazy signs uh, by my head right now. I'm, I'm seeing it come together, Matt.
1: <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I, I, so so let, me, let me do an example of like the old. And so tell me how this metaphor works, um, if, okay. if, if you like it or not. I think a lot of our traditional, let, let's say my goal is that I want to have a saltwater sea life. But, but I in my house, I have a saltwater aquarium and I basically set it up. I know there's things I have to pay attention to, but I can directly control the salinity, the heat. I can bring okay. things into the environment that I know make it, you know, can, you know, be mitigated to make it less toxic. I can then buy fish and I can populate it and I have a closed system. I have okay. created this and I've added the life to it. But imagine we take the same principle, but now our goal is to go and create a, a re re rebuild a reef a coral reef. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that we take the same kind of control-based principles into creating a a, a man-made reef and we can't do that. So what we do differently in this is we drop the elements in there. So we put structures of which life will begin to attach itself to. Now we will put it in favorable conditions, but I, as a designer, cannot create life. I cannot make it do that. I can create the conditions for it but I go into Hmm. being able to to enable and then takes time. So the first layer of life comes in the second and the third, and that's how it grows itself in that mindset. We have a belief that we can go out and just take the same principle to the saltwater tank I have in my house, And go out and do that in the wild woolly world where it's constantly changing out there. And the point is you don't have the same kind of controls. You have to think differently how you design. you got to work with the denizens of the new system. The people that are going to be a part of it have to be part of the solution. They have to be active within it because you can't control it. So I'm working on a metaphor to kind of bring that to life. Does that help at all?
0: I love, love, love that. And, you know, selfishly, I am... Currently engaged in a, a proposal for a project for a client. We can talk offline about it, but it's really this modern learning transformation. And what you're saying, light bulbs are going off in my mind. It's like, how it's almost how does the bill become a law? And and I love the the reef analogy is you've got to set up this environment, but it's not like it's not like sea monkeys, right? You don't just drop it in there and everything's there and it's done. It's more let's set it up and look at, look at things as they go over time. And I mean, that's such a great analogy. You were onto something right there. So, um, I would say that's, that is a, that is a great one to go with. Yeah. So that's your, your track and you got, you got my light bulbs going off right there. So Matt, I I know we got to be respectful for your time here and you've been so gracious with, with your insight here today. Any parting thoughts that you'd like to share regarding this idea of creating a culture of organizational learning?
1: Yeah, The thing is, not only do I think the energy and effort putting in to really create or move to that that learning culture, that learner-centric learning culture, I think it'll pay dividends, but more importantly, I think it's absolutely critical for competitive advantage for a lot of our organizations. Given the constant accelerating rate of disruption, it almost has to be a competitive table stakes to be able to look and move towards this so not only will it pay dividends but i think it becomes necessary for survival a big advocate for it i think we've got a lot to learn as we continue to make these transformations but
0: it will pay dividends matt thank you so much for your time and happy holidays
1: you know i love coming here to talk with you so anyway you have a good holidays
0: all right take care matt thank you The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com.